Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 255 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, of course, by former heavyweight world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Eddie Holmes. <laughs> I'm playing. Uh, Holmes? You mean, don't you mean, don't you mean Ernie? <laughs> of course, Eddie Chambers. Eddie, welcome to the show, my man. How are you? Good, man. I'm good. I'm always good when talking to you. How about that? <laughs> nice flip, right? <laughs> now I don't know what else to say. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always... Screw you the, the feeling is mutual. But, um, yeah, so it's going to be a uh, you know a regular type of show. We are going to um, start straight away with the review part. Then we're going to bring in our first guest, our sole guest, um, the undisputed welterweight female world champion Jessica McCaskill and then after that interview is done we'll we'll begin part two with the news part of the show and the preview part of the show and Eddie will wrap the show up with his very own lockdown knockdown it returns this week um so yeah exciting stuff let's like I say begin with the review part um you know we're gonna start here with with a card that took place in I'm gonna start in Germany but um, just before we get into that, obviously it's the first show that we're you know that we're bringing you in the month of September, uh, which is a big month you know in, on, on the Box Hard podcast. It's when we started in 2015, so I think it was the back end of um, of, of September 2015. So uh, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, it will be our five-year anniversary, which is uh, you know it's, it's a milestone for us. But anyways. Getting on to the interesting stuff. Germany in Berlin, a place that um that's where you boxed um that's where you boxed right. Povetkin, right, yeah. So we're gonna start there. Um at the Havel Studios. Um a, a really good fight. Top the bill. I said it on last week's show, I said it's a risky fight for the previously undefeated nine and O Abbas Baral. Well, Abbas Baral was actually upset over 12 rounds a split decision in favor there of Jack Kulkai who's now 29 and 4 um Jack Kulkai you know he's always been a decent level fighter like i say um his biggest fights he has lost i said it on last week's show he's got losses to Derevianchenko to Demetrius Andre to Masiel Selecki but you know he's still a good fighter and for Abbas Barrow it seemed to just be a a step too far um like i say a split decision loss over 12 rounds um you know, I think it it was the first time he'd 
No, I got that wrong. I thought it was the first time he'd gone twelve rounds, but no, it wasn't. He'd actually, uh, he'd actually gone twelve rounds with Carlos Molina, friend of the show, uh, in the past, the controversial one, Matt Knight. But anyway, that's a setback there for Abbas Barral, um, and you know I can't say I'm overly surprised to be honest with you. Brilliant win there for Jack Kalkai. Um Moving out now to the Osceola Heritage Park in Florida, USA. Over here, just one fight to mention: Cassius Cheney, now nineteen and zero. He boxed that guy with a you know a whole heap of wins. Chauncey Welliver, um, who was fifty-seven and twelve with five draws. Cassius Cheney did make somewhat of a statement and get him out of there in four rounds. So all um, all the credit there to Cassius Cheney, friend of the show, good guy. Nineteen and zero now. Um, surely knocking on the door for a big fight. I need to see him stepped up. Um, moving out now to Germany once again. We're back the the following the following evening, Saturday, August twenty ninth. Marco Huck returned to the ring. A win for him. Win number 42. He's got five losses and a draw. Unanimous decision over 10 rounds. A complete shutout on all cards against Dennis Lewandowski, who's now 13-5. and five. Um, Moving out now to the BT Sports Studio in Stratford, London, United Kingdom. A Frank Warren show, of course. Uh, let's start with Sonny Edwards. A good win for him. 15-0 and 0 now. It was a defense of his IBF International Super Flyweight title against the very tough and game Thomas Asomba. Um, Thomas Asomba, you know, a record of 10-5 and 5 going in. Not the prettiest record, not the prettiest of styles, but a very, very tough guy. Way better than his record suggests, but you know, the style just was all wrong for him. Sonny Edwards was, um, you know, just too good for him, really. Brilliant mover, Sonny Edwards, and that's the problem with Asomba. He likes it if you stand right in front of him, as do a lot of, you know, guys, opponents, you know, that are expected to lose. They like it if you stand right in front of them and give them a chance. Sonny was never going to do that. He's a dancer, and he, he made it easy, really, for himself, to be honest. So a, a win for him, unscathed. Um, Anyway, good win for Sonny Edwards. On to the next one for him. Also on the bill, Sam Maxwell with a great win against Joe Hughes. Maxwell now 14-0. and That one was for the WBO European Super Lightweight title. Um, that's a brilliant win for Sammy Maxwell. I actually thought that he could even get upset by Joe Hughes, the former European champion, now 17-6 and with a draw. But a unanimous decision over 10 in favour of Maxwell. Uh, I think since his... You know, his, his kind of last few fights, that fight where he boxed that guy and the guy was showboating like hell and then he stopped him in the in the final seconds of the fight. I had a little look. That guy was actually undefeated, so he wasn't as bad as I perhaps thought he was, that guy. I'd just never heard of him at the time. And um, Sammy Maxwell, since then, seems like he's come on leaps and bounds. So all credit to him. Brilliant win there. Real, real good win there, actually. I want to see him pushed on now and, um, yeah... Quite exciting, his future. Uh, also on the bill, Willie Hutchinson, friend of the show, now 12-0. and 0, A win there against Ben Thomas, who came in on late notice. He was TKO'd in one round, uh, Ben Thomas. So a good win for Willie Hutchinson. Obviously being kind of co-promoted by Frank Warren and co-promoted by Richard Schaefer's Ringstar Promotions. Uh, also on the bill, the main attraction, I guess, um, 
in fact, before we get to that, another win. I almost missed it there for heavyweight David Adelaide. He's now 3-0. and um, A KO for him in round three against Phil Williams, who's 3-26 and with a draw. But the main attraction, like I say... Daniel Dubois now 15-0, and 0, a TKO for him in two rounds against former cruiserweight Ricardo Snyders, who's now 18-2. and 2. It was for the WBO International Heavyweight title. Snyders down three times in the first round, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think they were body shots. And um, yeah, he, he got hit again in the second, another body shot. The referee waved it off, did him a favor, I guess. Um, you know... I I said it on last week's show, it's not going to go to round three, it's a first or second round job, and I was right on that, you know, Um, no real, you know, no real kind of former cruiserweight, I don't think, can mess with Daniel Dubois, Um, and yeah, you know, another relatively easy win, very easy win, not the fights we want to see him in, and hopefully his next one will be a fight we want to see him in, they're talking about Joe Joyce and him getting it on, they've both had their easy kind of wins, their keep busy fight wins now during the pandemic, let's get it on, they're trying to do it for October, they need a crowd, they're saying, well I say there, Frank Warren's saying that it's not going to happen if there aren't crowds back by October, so doesn't look likely to happen, which is a bit of a kick in the shins, but you know, it is what it is. Um yeah, you know, it is what it is. He was he was a late replacement as well, Snyder's. Um off the back of that win, by the way, Daniel Dubois has been put into the the uh, number number two position by the WBO. Um obviously the champion the heavyweight WBO champion uh, Anthony Joshua. Should he vacate the belt, by the way, which there are talks that he may do, um, because Alexander Usyk doesn't want to wait. He doesn't want to, you know, wait for Fury Wilder free, and then Joshua to beat Pulev, if he does, by the way, that's no foregone conclusion, and then he doesn't want to wait to see the big super fight, Fury-Joshua, providing they both come through the next fights, he doesn't want to wait around, he doesn't care about a big British showdown, he just wants to become champion, so... He's not stepping aside, uh, he just wants a belt, and Joshua may have to vacate the WBO to basically keep him off his back, and um, if, if he does, then it will be Usyk, ranked number one against Daniel Dubois now, ranked number two for the vacant title, so things should get quite interesting for Daniel Dubois. Anyway, moving on from that card there, moving out now to the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, California, USA. Um... An undercard fight between Alfredo Angulo. 26-7 and seven going in. He was supposed to box Caleb Truax. Caleb Truax, for some reason, I'm not quite sure what it was, pulled out of the fight on fight week, I believe it was. In steps Vladimir Hernandez, a guy I'd never heard of, 11-4. and four. And unbelievably, he pulls off the upset wide over 10 rounds. Vladimir Hernandez. So a win there against Alfredo Angulo. It just, you know, it just... It just makes you think he really needs to retire. He's absolutely finished. He's been finished for years, to be honest, Alfredo Angulo. Um, yeah, I don't want to see him again. If there's a guy jumping in with a record of 11-4 on, 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 on fight week as a late replacement and he beats you that wide on points, it's over. Um, main event on that card, though, Erislandi Lara with a win. Um, he, he'd been out the ring, I believe, for about a year. He successfully defended his WBA World Super Welterweight title against Greg Vendetti, who's now 22-4 and four with a draw. Didn't see the fight. It was also for the vacant IBO World title. Erislandi Lara now 27-3 and three with three draws. Um, 
Moving out now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Pretty much the best, um, the best, well, the best fight, certainly, of the weekend. Uh, the undercard wasn't great for me in my, in, my, in my eyes. I didn't think it was too great, but I'm going to move straight on to the main event. It ended with a majority decision over 12 rounds in favor of the champion, Jose Carlos Ramirez. 26-0 now, a defense of his WBC and WBO World Super Lightweight titles against a very, very tough Victor Postel, now 31-3. and three. Again, the three losses have come to brilliant fighters. Actually, the three losses have come to guys that even now in 2020 are still undefeated. He's lost to Terence Crawford, still undefeated all these years later. He's lost to uh, Josh Taylor, I think it was a couple years ago. Of course, he's still undefeated. He's the guy that holds the other two belts that Ramirez doesn't have, and now he loses here to Ramirez. So he is still, after all that, even up in age, I think he's mid-30s, he's still one of the very best 140 fighters in the world. And, um, on my card, he did enough to win, by the way, Victor Postel. I'm going to fly through the 12 rounds here. Um, the first round, uh, it was a very close opener, to be completely honest. Postel, you know, seemed to start well. Ramirez ended well. Mainly Postel's jab um, was was kind of key in my eyes. Uh, Ramirez, you know, he, he likes to throw his hooks. He's a bit of a hooker. Um to be honest, it was kind of like a 10-10 round for me, but if I had to give it to someone, it would go to Postal. Uh, the second round, an excellent round for Postal. Um, once again, displaying a fantastic jab, piercing type of jab. Um, he varied them up as well, and he definitely got the better of the exchanges also when the pair would trade. Um, definitely a Postal round, very clear to see that. The third round, another really close round, could have gone either way, but I actually felt Postal just about edged it. Again, on that jab a brilliant jab and um many times throughout that round as well he made Ramirez miss quite wildly uh, round four another really close round maybe sympathetically I, I gave it to Ramirez uh, both men had little moments in there round five Postel had success multiple times with the straight one two just the basic straight one two Ramirez had no answer for it at times and um, it was a brilliant brilliant round for Postel there moving into round six a better round for Ramirez he was he was having some success with his right hand finally and I felt he may have just stole the round in perhaps the last 30 seconds or so um, going into the second half of the fight, round seven, Ramirez rocked Postel with a with a punch that was somewhere in between kind of like a jab and a short hook. He fell short with um, with the two shots he threw prior to that shot, but it wobbled Postel, and Postel did finish the round really well. Um, I think R Ramirez, you know, may have just kind of grabbed the round again for that early work. Round eight, a great round for both men. Um... The technique from Ramirez was, was messier. The tidier of the work was definitely done by Apostle. But again, I think Ramirez might have just stole that round. Um, and it's interesting because up to those first eight rounds, I had um, the exact same scorecard as Judge Chim. Uh, Tim Cheatham. I had the exact same card through the first eight rounds. Um, I think also one of the other judges, can't remember who it was, we absolutely agreed on everything um, up to the first eight rounds. And then after that, we seemed to disagree. And in Tim Cheatham's case, we absolutely disagree on everything from round 9, 10, 11, and 12. 
and I'll get on to that. Um, round nine, a very close round. I felt like Postal was winning the round, then Ramirez, you know, landed some nice shots in the last 20 or so seconds. It was it was such a close round. Um, I actually gave it a 10-10 on my scorecard, so I had it all completely square going into the final three rounds. Round 10, a postal round for sure. He started off really well. He did fade a little bit towards the end of the round. Ramirez did take advantage of it with some big heavy shots, but I don't think it was enough to snatch the round. Round 11, a brilliant round for Postel. Uh He got back to his boxing. Again, he found a lot of success with the straight one-two um, again and again. He barely got touched, actually, the whole round. Uh, we did see a little bit of holding as well, you know, smart holding from Postel. Uh, Ramirez just did nothing though in that 11th round, which I find bizarre that I think either two or three of the judges gave that round to Ramirez, so it's very fishy for me. Um, yeah, it was amazing again how, how good Postel's movement was that late on in a fight. Very, very fresh. He was bouncing around on, on the balls of his feet like it was the first round, and he's 36 years of age, like I said. Uh, round 12, again, another round where many people felt Postal won, and I did as well. It was a close one, but Postal, for me, did enough to steal the round in the last 30 seconds. So I actually had it um, in the end, like I say, uh, all square going into the to, to the final three rounds. But I gave 10, 11, and 12 all to Postal. Al Bernstein was on Twitter afterwards raging at the fact that, uh, you know, that that the judges seemed to score the last three or four rounds really badly, just like me. So I was kind of on the same page as Al. But, um, yeah, the scorecards were very, very strange, you know. Um, I just can't understand how you can give uh, give Ramirez the 11th round for sure and not even the 12th round, you know. It was clear to me. It was, uh, yeah, it was very strange the way the judges completely agreed with everything I saw, then totally disagreed with everything I saw after that. Very strange, but it is what it is. Moving on, uh, brilliant, brilliant fight, like I say. Very thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, moving out now to the final card to mention. This one took place at the Production Park Studios yesterday in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Um, let's start with the undercut. Let's start with the main event, actually. A good win over 12 rounds unanimously for Akeem Ennis-Brown. Now 14-0. and 0. He is the Commonwealth and British... Uh, super lightweight champion. Bose was cut above the left eye in the fourth round. He had a point deducted in the eighth as well. Um, Akeem Ennis-Brown also was cut on his eye in the tenth. But a good win there uh, by about three to four kind of points. Um, you know, over 12 rounds for Akeem Ennis-Brown. Real bright future, I believe he has. Also on the card, Dan Aziz. Um, 12-0 and now. It was the Battle of Lewisham. Him against Andre Sterling. Uh, it was a TKO in the ninth round of a scheduled 10 there for the English light heavyweight title. Um, yeah, the corner of Andre Sterling threw the towel in. Uh, he had quite a bad cut on his eye. Um, some swelling as well, I believe it was. And uh, he was also down, I think it was, in the sixth round, somewhere around that point. Uh, yeah, the, the the towel came in, so that's a brilliant win there for Dan Aziz, it really is, I actually tipped Andre Sterling to, to probably win that one, and also a very impressive win on the undercard for cousin of um, Chris Eubank Jr., Harlem Eubank, he's now double figure wins, 10-0, and 0, um, a knockout win in the last round of, of, um, of an eight rounder, so in round eight against Martin McDonough, who's now eight and two, Martin McDonough of course was boasting all 
you know, all throughout the build-up, that they had two fights in the amateurs. Martin McDonough won both of them, so he was really, you know, confident of beating him again in the pros. But it wasn't to be, and um, very impressive from Harlem Eubank because he becomes the first man to stop Martin McDonough um, in his in his whole boxing career, and that's amateur and pro. No one's ever stopped him. Harlem did it. And um, it just goes to show once again that the pros really is a different game to the amateurs. Um, Right, that's everything for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning undisputed women's welterweight world champion. It is, of course, Miss Jessica McCaskill. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's honestly my pleasure. It really is. So, Jessica, there's there's really nowhere else to start other than your huge win. It was just over two weeks ago now. Has it all sunk in yet? Does it feel real now? I think the realest moments were the night of the fight and the win and being able to share that with my team and everything just seemed like kind of upside down and backwards at the same time. It was really intense. And so now... Things have calmed down and I'm back in the gym and, you know, ready to work and ready for the next step. And just talk us through that fight, because obviously it was such a brilliant fight to watch on TV. It was full of action. Uh, Cecilia, of course, has, has been such a great champion in and out the ring. But the hunger that you have and you bring it every time you fight, it's almost frightening. You you went in there as the challenger. <laughs> you know, you, you pull off this remarkable, remarkable, unforgettable upset. Just talk me through the fight. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, the game plan for us was to to first see what their game plan was going to be, and we knew it was either going to be her jabbing a lot and staying on the bike and moving, or it was she was going to come straight at us. So the first minute, you see me kind of move and, and uh, throw a couple punches myself and try to gauge what she's doing, and I realized she was coming towards me. And so I figured, okay, this is it. And we know exactly how this is going to go. So we just both went at it. And I figured that I would just have to apply my pressure. And since she was coming straight for me, I didn't have to go find her very often. Um, And I just, you know, pretty much just put my will on her. A lot of punches, they said I threw 230 punches more than she did. So, you know, that that output shows you exactly uh, where I was going with it. I just wanted to take it and I didn't uh, didn't let anything stop me. And you've probably been asked this a thousand times since the fight, but how sure or unsure were you when you were waiting the anxious moments for the MC to read out the judges' scorecards? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was like the longest four seconds of my entire life. Um, it, it didn't help that the first the first judge, you know, called it a draw. So, of course, that kind of throws your, your mindset a little bit. And I figured, okay, well, you know, it's, it's a majority decision and it has to be for me. And I just kept saying in my head and knew and knew. And then when I heard it, oh, my gosh, that was incredible. And obviously a little bit of a silly question, but what does it kind of mean to you? Because, you know, it's been very well documented that you've literally been at the lowest of lows in life in the past. Now you're pretty much on top of the world with this win. Yeah, definitely on top of the world, and I feel like it is such a 
stamp on a lot of the things that we talk about and the things that we preach where we talk about fighters having to be in the gym at all times and this consistency of your training and the things that you allow in your life and your focus and priorities. So to have that, that win and that just kind of pushes everything that we've been teaching, you know, even our own fighters that are in the gym, it pushes that, you know, to the next level uh, of reassurance that, you know, what we were doing is the right thing to do and that those are the steps to follow. And of course, obviously, the fight was a close fight, it has to be said. I'm sure you respect Cecilia as well for not really kicking up a fuss or anything when she was announced, obviously, as the loser, when really she kind of had a right to, to feel like she won, but she was just, you know, nothing short of, I guess, complimentary to yourself right after the fight. Yeah, I mean, I know she's had such a, a tough time with, you know, being away from her friends and family, and I think she was almost relieved. And even even having such a long reign for a, such a long time, you know, even having a loss is, can be uh, relieving. So um, I think I think she was very much just happy that, you know, we were both very respectable and professional in what we were doing. And, you know, like she said before, there was never any bad blood. We just both wanted to do the best for boxing for the sport. So, um, yeah, there was never any issues with Cecilia before, during, or after. Yeah, and I think the pair of you just set an absolutely wonderful example for boxing, period. Um, it's It's been nothing short of inspirational, uh, especially for young women, to see your development, though, your journey, your rise to the top. But boxing career-wise, I want to ask you this, Jess. You lost to Katie Taylor, um, you know, originally a little while ago now. You gave her a good fight. She got the decision. Looking back now, was that like a blessing in disguise? Because it seems like since then you've turned into this beast in the ring every time. I think it's definitely been a blessing in disguise, not only for my career, but female boxing as a whole, because, you know, I was coming onto the scene, nobody knew who I was. And if Katie had lost that fight, you know, female boxing might not have had the same kind of investment from Eddie Hearn and the money might not have been there. And he might've thought, well, Katie's a fluke and, and she lost. And now what am I going to do? And, and so he might not have put that much money into female boxing and it might not have been on the rise as it is now. I mean, August, we had what, like four major female fights um, that really kept the fanship going for boxing altogether. So uh, yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. And uh, I learned from every fight that I have, whether it's a win or a loss. So um, you just have to take it on the chin and keep grinding. Like I mentioned, you know, it, it was your first fight at welterweight and you, you pull off, you know, a win against one of the best women boxers of all time. Um, a lot of people, though, before the fight, of course, were overlooking yourself and even Delphine Pursun. You know, we, we thought we'd probably get to see Katie Taylor against Cecilia uh, in this kind of Super 4 tournament that's going on. I know you wanted Taylor to win her fight against Pursun so you could get the rematch with her. Two kind of questions in one here. Do you think she deserved the, you know, the decision when she boxed Pursun in the rematch and when will we get to see that that uh, now hotly anticipated rematch between you both? <laughs> uh, I feel like both of the Katie Taylor, Delphine Pursun fights were very close. I feel like the, the New York fight was a lot closer. Um, Delphine just seemed to really land a lot of her shots in the New York fight and the first one and it you could really tell just from how bad uh, Katie got beat up from that 
Um, this one, she, she came out a little bit more cleaner. And even though I feel like the, I, I don't know what the punch count was, they usually don't do punch counts for female fights, unfortunately. Um, but I know Delphine was throwing a lot of combinations and Katie was throwing maybe, you know, one or two shots from the highlights that I saw. So, um, you know, I know it was close um, and, you know, it takes a lot to, to take it from the, the champion. So, you know, they deemed Katie the winner and, and that's what we'll go. And again, um, you know, you mentioned you're back in the gym already. Is that the next fight for you, or is it not 100% locked in just now, just now? I think because everything um, has just happened and we're still so close to um, what we've just accomplished, there's still a lot of conversation going. Nothing is officially locked in. Uh, Cecilia has a little bit more time to decide whether she's going to invoke the uh, rematch clause or not. Um best thing for our business, I would say, since Katie has momentum and I have the momentum is to go ahead and get them Casco Taylor to rematch out. Um, and then Cecilia, whether she wants to fight the winner or the loser, she gives herself a couple more fights, whether it be me or Katie first. But if she fights me again through a rematch and she loses or gets knocked out, nobody's going to want to see her fight again after that. So it would buy her a little bit more time, a few more fights, a little bit more money if she were to wait out the rematch until after we get the re- um, the Katie um, and me, myself, rematch going first. So again, like like we say, you're back in the gym. How kind of, it's kind of out of, I guess, your control entirely when your next fight will be just this, this early on. But when ideally would you be ready to box next? When will we get to see you, hopefully, if all goes to plan? I would love um, either a December or January fight. I think that's ample enough time for, for Katie and I to, to be ready for that. She fought only a week after I did, so I would feel very confident in a December or January fight. And it is looking like it's either going to be at this stage um, you know, a, a break house rematch or straight with, with Taylor. So it's going to be a big fight next. It seems for yourself. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, we, we really have to continue on this kind of uphill um, momentum that we've created. And so it, it's, it's going to have to be a big name. It's going to have to be somebody that has belts. It's, it's, you know, it's always the biggest fight of my life. You know, there's never any, uh, tune-ups as they call it so <laughs> i don't think i'll get any tune-ups anytime soon we'll see <laughs> <laughs> no but um just coming down to the last couple questions here jess i want to ask you um i know you're on twitter just for anyone that's listening now that wants to jump on this bandwagon if they haven't already where can people follow you on social media twitter instagram where can they follow you um first name last name jessica mccaskill and that's going to be on facebook Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can always search uh, hashtag Team McCaskill and everything should come up. Excellent. And just, I want to just give you a chance here, just if you've got any closing words just before we wrap it up, perhaps to your UK supporters, because like I say, you know, everyone kind of you know knew who you were obviously for the first taylor fight since then everyone that's been paying attention is just amazed and blown away with how much you've come on since then you're sitting here now welterweight undisputed champion what's your message to your supporters over here oh my gosh i'm so thankful for all of the supporters all of the love that we got going to and coming from the katie fight 
um, all of the the DMs that I get on Instagram and in my message box and Facebook. And there's people that have been requesting autographed photos. So if you want one, all you have to do is hit me up on social media and send me your information. And I'll make sure to send one out, and I appreciate it. Make sure you make some noise for the McCaskill Taylor too, whether you're a Katie fan or a McCaskill fan or just a boxing fan altogether. Oh, well said, absolutely, and everyone should. That is a fight we all want to see. But listen, Jessica, I just want to say it's been an absolute honor speaking with you this week. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you finally get the recognition that you deserve now because sometimes in the past in my eyes you haven't gotten the credit that you're due um, you really are one of the true inspirations in not just women's boxing but boxing period and I look forward to the next time we speak thank you so much hopefully that's soon and take care thanks for having me Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to try and fly through this as quick as possible here. Um, We're going to start with a card that Frank Warren has announced for October the 10th. It will feature um, Anthony Kakachi defending his British super featherweight title against Leon Woodstock. Um, That's a good fight. Reached out to Leon Woodstock for an interview in the build-up to this, but he politely declined me, um, which isn't the first time he's done that, to be honest. But uh, all the best to him anyway. He's, he's definitely the underdog in that fight there. Brilliant fight as well between... Um, uh, between Oh, gosh, what's his name again? Um, Jack Flatley and JJ Metcalf. That's a That's a real good fight there. Uh, that one's for the Commonwealth Super Welterweight title. And top of that bill, uh, he's ranked, I think, number one or whatever, number two in the WBO middleweight world rankings. He's mandatory. Yeah, of course he's number one. He's mandatory for um, Demetrius Andrade. But he's boxing uh, and defending his British middleweight title against Andrew Robinson, who's quite a tough guy, but only to a certain level, you know. Williams will... Will will win that even if he had both arms tied behind his back, and that's no disrespect to Andrew Robinson, but uh, Liam Williams is a real special talent. Um, also, it's been announced that September 26th again, Josh Taylor will fight his mandatory. Uh, forgot his first name, but his surname is Consong. I'm not sure if we mentioned this. I don't think we mentioned it on last week's show. This, but um, also on the undercard, you know, Charlie Edwards returns to the ring. His first fight under Frank Warren and he takes on a guy by the name of Carl Williams who has a record of 11 and 2 um he's not that bad actually Carl Williams I mean he shouldn't be able to you know to 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 beat Charlie by any stretch but he's not actually as bad as his record looks if you have a look he's not a bad fighter um in other news we get to see um Where's it gone now? Um, a September 19th showdown between Jose Pedraza and Javier Molina. That one to be streamed at the uh, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, the bubble. Uh, that one's going to be on ESPN+. And the other piece of news, the final piece of news, is that the MTK show that, um, you know, that was on yesterday that we mentioned in the review part of the show, well, they have now announced the semifinals for their... Um, uh, their their tournament. I think it's the light heavyweight tournament. So we're going to get to see uh, Liam Conroy in the in the semifinals, and he takes on uh, Serge Michel. That's the guy with a record of ten and one. He of course beat Tommy Philbin uh, in the quarterfinals of this tournament, and the other uh, the other fight is obviously between 
Jose Burton. He has to go to Latvia to take on um, oh, the Latvian. Um, Ricards Bolotniks. That's the guy who um, who caused a real big upset. I can't remember who he beat as well. It's really unprofessional of me. But Ricards Bolotniks, that one takes place in Latvia. He was the guy that knocked out Stephen Ward. That was it in the quarterfinals. So that's... Uh, Quite a, quite a juicy couple fights there. Um, yeah, not long to wait as well for those as well. They're, they're I think, happening um, in about three weeks' time, something like that. So, real exciting stuff. That's it, though, for the news. If there is any further news developments throughout the recording of this show, I'll speak about them at the very end. Getting on to the preview part of the show, not too much to go over, just three cards really. This one takes place on Saturday at the Production Park Studios in South Kirkby, Yorkshire. Um, it is going to be on Channel 5. Mick Hennessy, uh, top of the bill for the EBU European Super Featherweight title. Samir Ziani, 31-3 and three with a draw, takes on Alex Dilmagani, 19-1 and one with a draw. Uh, young Irish prospect Stephen McKenna, 4-0. He's in a six-rounder, no opponent just yet. Mick Hennessy Jr., he's out again, 4-0 with a draw. He takes on Jamie Stewart, who's 1-0. And uh, return to the ring, he was, I think, boxing last week or the week before. Um, Isaac Chamberlain, he, again, he's coming off that two-year layoff, and now he's having two fights in two weeks or whatever. He's 11-1, no opponent just yet. I want to see him back active. Um, moving to the fight that takes place at the bubble, the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, this is this Saturday, of course. Uh, on the undercard, friend of the show, we had him on last week, the the uh, the heavyweight prospect, 5-0, 5 KOs, Jared Anderson. He takes on Rodney Hernandez, a guy that's been around the block, 13-9 um, and nine with two draws, Hernandez. Uh, also on that bill, we get to see Stephen Nelson, 16-0, and undefeated prospect in a 10-rounder against DeAndre Ware, who's a good fighter, 13-2 and with two draws. That's a brilliant fight there. Uh, I like Stephen Nelson's entrances. He likes to come out to the most craziest, um, you know, the craziest stuff. He's come out dressed as the Grinch before, and many other crazy um, kind of film or movie type stuff, uh, you know, these these characters in movies, stuff like that. But the top of the bill, everyone loves him. Jamel Herring, 21-2, and two, defending his WBO World Super Featherweight title against Jonathan Aquendo, who's 31-6, and six, obviously a 12-rounder. This is the third time that this fight was supposed to have took place. Finally, both men have passed a COVID-19 test, and the fight will take place. All the best to Jamel Herring. We'll probably have him on next week's show. Um, yeah, one of the, the absolute best guys in boxing. And the final card to mention takes place on Sunday, the 6th of September. So this Sunday at the Microsoft Theatre in Los Angeles, California. Um, not much really going on on the undercard, apart from a good fight between Batir Akhmadov. His record 7-1. He's the guy that pushed Mario Barrios real, real close in that fight where Barrios scored a knockdown pretty much to clinch the fight. It was a brilliant fight. Uh, he takes on Ray Perez, who's 24-11 and 11 over 10 rounds. And the main event for the vacant WBA World Welterweight title, your Dennis Ugas, 25-4. and four. In fight number 30 for him against Abel Ramos, 26-3 and three with two draws. Good, good fight there over 12 rounds, like I say, for the vacant WBA Welterweight crown. 
Um, that is it though for the reviewing. We did that in part one. We brought you the soul guest. I've done the news. I've done the previewing. I tried to whiz for it as quick as possible. Um, but there is one more segment. It returns. Eddie, the lockdown knockdown. I think we know where we are. The Nigerian nightmare. A win that you had against the former WPC world champion at the time, Mr. Samuel Peter. Where are we going to start here, Eddie? Yeah, I was just coming off the last fight, man, which was with uh, big CC Salif, who's actually another <laughs> African guy. So, you know, that I'm fighting two African guys in a row. Kind of weird. But anyway, um, coming off and it, and, and the, the craziest part about this, and this kind of goes into the business aspect of the boxing, was I wasn't even sure who my next opponent was going to be. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the fight with CC was in December of the year previous. My fight with Samuel Peter was in March, March 27th, two days before my uh, birthday. I think it was two days before my 20 seventh birthday if i'm not mistaken um and uh i remember not really knowing who i was going to fight or if i was going to fight when i was going to fight you know we were just kind of like going over thing they kept they kept relaying information to me saying hey uh you're going to be fighting soon um we're trying to get a this opponent that opponent we're we're looking at a big one and all this and that now keep in mind since the previous fight i had i mean i I was training, but not really much. I was kind of relaxing. I didn't really think anything was coming right off the, you know, right off, you know, right down the pipe really quick. So I was like, uh, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, kind of enjoy myself, take some time off. I had a girlfriend at the time and we hung out a lot. And all I was doing, honestly, was eating crap. And this was before I made the decision to really, really focus on uh, being in the best shape possible and being an actual athlete, you know, with diet and everything, not just the aspect of, throwing punches and being in the gym and training and stuff when I was post when I, when I, when it was time to, but living the lifestyle more so then um, there had been periods in my career where I had kind of, you know, just kind of like sailed off and let it, you know, and, and just let the, uh, that part of it go and wasn't really worried about how much I weighed. And, you know, I mean, I never got too heavy, you know, to the point where it was like, what is going on? But I had gotten bigger than I needed to be. And for me, being close to 230 pounds at that time was like, wow, that's way too heavy. I mean, I had never really approached that up at that point. And I get on the scale and I was 237 pounds and I was looking like, damn, I weighed that much. And I realized, you know, when I got on the scale, I was like, man, I'm gonna have to start doing something before they end up telling me I have a fight. And then I, you know, I don't want to make this whole camp about, you know, just losing as much fat as I possibly can or just losing as much weight. I want to make sure that I'm actually, uh, you know, kind of fight ready even beforehand. But of course, nobody said anything. So I had no clue. So I'm sitting around just kind of, you know, and then, you know, just it wasn't depression or anything. I wasn't depressed, you know, like I wasn't going to get a big fight, but I just didn't know anything. And I feel like I can relax. I had that last fight. I won it pretty easily. It just didn't seem like anything was coming up and nothing big was going to be coming up soon. So I kind of relaxed a little. And um, I, I, I guess I didn't pay for it because I ended up winning the fight. But when I look back on it, it would have been nice to do kind of what I did in previous times and just stay around the gym and and spar and, and train regular and do the things that, that got me to where I was in that position. But this was also an a, a, a important time in my career because when we had – and, and this is where I, I want to speak about the business 
and how sometimes, and I'm not going to say any names or say any people or anything like that, but sometimes when you're in this particular sport, things happen with happen without your knowledge. And it should never be that way. You should know everything that's going to, that's going to happen with your career because you're the one getting in there. And if there's something being set up, if there's a plan, if there's anything going on in your career, then it, it should involve you. You know what I mean? I get it that, you know, the, the fighter's job is to fight. We know that, you know, that's what's been said and all that for years. But the problem with that is if it's just your job to fight, what about what you're doing? You're getting into your risk in your life. You're putting yourself on the line every single time you get in there, not just in the ring. We're talking about in sparring, too. And these people, a lot of times, will make deals, you know, without your knowledge. Now, not all of them are deals that you don't, you don't, be, you don't benefit from. But some of these deals are made, and they're made for the benefit of the people who are making them. And if you're not there, you can't speak for yourself. You understand what I'm saying? And you, you can't even see who the opponent is going to be to, you know, give your two cents about the dangers of, you know, dealing with this guy or being in this position. So I really think it's important for fighters, whoever, you know, whatever fighters may be listening is to, to try to be involved as much as you can, at least in the as and in, in, in certain aspects of your business, when it comes time for you to focus on the fight, just make sure all your ducks are in a row before you get involved in camp and everything is set up the way you like it to your liking, to your comfort level before things go any further. Because the problem with a lot of the fights I've had going into, you know, the, you know, the, the big times in my career, I was kind of in the dark about a lot of things. And I just don't think that, you know, person being, you know, I'm not a stupid guy. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm the smartest guy in the world, but I'm damn sure not a stupid guy. And I knew things were going on. I knew there was a lot of stuff going on, but I trusted the people that were in position. So I, I kind of just allowed things to take their natural course, which I thought was the natural course. And, you know, I, I learned quickly, you know, really quick within those times that, you can't allow people to make deals and talk about what's going to happen with your career without your knowledge. It just should never happen. So, you know, in the preparation of this whole thing, I'm watching and, you know, we watch fights because I'm, like I said, I'm in the height of my career about this time is when I really started to approach it. And I'm watching uh, an episode of, I think it was Friday night fights ESPN. And they had made an announcement on ESPN and, they had mentioned it's going to, we were going to, you know, at the end of the card, because they weren't sure, I guess, you know, they were making the deal even at that moment. And I don't even know if they, maybe they weren't hundred percent sure of, you know, whether they could announce it right. You know, at that point, but um, they had uh, went to commercial and I remember saying, we got an important announcement to make, blah, blah, blah. We're going to, it's going to be right here on ESPN. It was a big fight. And once we, you know, get the, okay, we're going to make the announcement. So, you know, there's cards going on. I'm watching. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. Like, what's this announcement, man? I, I want to know what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm like, dang, this is a big fight. And I think they said heavyweight. I wonder who it's going to be, man. I got to pay attention because I may be fighting one of these guys. <laughs> they come back after the break. <laughs> it's the craziest thing ever. And the funniest thing before this, before I get to the, to the meat, to, to somewhat the meat of this thing, I had a conversation with my manager a little bit before this and it, it was like a, I think before the, the the fight card started, and he was saying, "Man, we you know we're gonna try to work. We got something we're working on, you know." And, and I ain't, I can't tell you right now, but 
we're working on this. And I'm sitting there thinking, and this is why I said what I said just a little while ago by saying you shouldn't be involved in your business, not letting a guy or any particular person out there who it is, even if it's your wife, making deals with, you know, someone else without your knowledge. It just shouldn't happen. You know what I mean? You should you should be in, involved in it. But he told me that, and, you know, at this time I'm, I'm green and I'm, I'm still green, you know, as a pool table. You know, I mean, well, squares a pool table twice as green. <laughs> so I'm still kind of like letting things just go ahead and let them do what their do what their job is supposed to be. But so like I'm and so after I talk to him, you know, I start watching the show, then I hear this that statement. Then they come back after the break and Joe Tessitore says, We got a huge, huge fight coming to ESPN and just three to four weeks we'll have Samuel Peter, the one fight, one fight ago, former heavyweight champion of the world. This is they just lost his title to Vitaly Klitschko, and he's he's going to be fighting uh, Fast Eddie Chambers, uh, 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 top level contender who only has only lost a. And I'm sitting there watching this show, and I said, "What? Like, like what? Like what? What? Like, how could you not tell me that I'm about to fight this guy?" who just was a world champion one fight before it, like literally a year ago, maybe a little less than a calendar year ago, this guy was the like the champion, the world freaking champion. And you're not going to tell me that I'm about to fight him in less than four weeks. That's crazy, man. Like, that, you, you see what I'm talking about? Like, these are the type of things that have to be, they just have to be paid attention. Like you have to see these things. You have to know that these are the type, kind of things that not cannot go. Uh, uh, you cannot let them go un, 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 unnoticed. Like you, you can't just say, okay, you know, I trust my guys, and I, which I did, and it's okay to trust your people. And nobody says you, you don't trust them when you're asking questions, but you have to ask questions. There's a great comedian who died a little, a little while ago, man, uh, by the name of George Carlin. And he, I was always always watch his sets because he's he's one of the greatest. I love I love watching him, um, or listening to him, watching him, whatever. And he said one thing, and and it was it was so profound, and it's like it it really makes sense. Like kids and just people in general, maybe they say a lot of times with kids, they're just never taught to question anything. You know what I mean? Authority figures don't want you to question because if you question. Then it's like, well, they can't they can't enforce certain things because they can't teach you to question it because then their authority figures, they can't they can't teach you that because then you'll question them. Right. So the 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 things that are happening with some of these people and when you're a young guy and these guys are older and, you know, they 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 they, they have business, they, they've been in business for a long time or they've been in the boxing business for a long time. We already know that's a dirty game. And and you Growing up in this game, you're never really taught to question anything. You know what I mean? Nobody's ever told me I need to really ask somebody about what what this contract is about, or I need to have a lawyer look over my contract, or I need to 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 really have my accountant, you know, looking over the numbers and making sure things really match up in my favor, not my manager or my promoter or anyone's favor. I never knew these things. I mean, I I kind of knew them. Because, you know, you have little conversations with other fighters every now and again, but nothing really gets to you like you really, really want, you know, wanted to. And nobody ever is really, really 100 percent honest, especially when you're kind of held under that umbrella. So nobody really can tell you what's going on. You know what I mean? So when I when when I had those conversations, I really didn't pay attention much. And I'm trusting my guys 100 percent. So I didn't really think anything of it. But when this type of thing happened, it should have been the red flag of, of the century. And it should have told me, OK, no. 
I can't allow these types of things to happen. I need to know who I'm fighting. I need to know how many rounds it is. I need to know if they're in shape. I need to know what time they wake up, what, what, what camp, where their camp is. I need to know all these things. It can't be nothing. I need to know what the person's going to be if they're even thinking about setting the fight up. That's what needs to happen. Fighters need to know what's going on. I get, you know, nobody really wants to listen to a fighter because what are they, just fighters? They don't know anything, right? Well, the idea of that is fine. You could say that, you could think that or whatever, but the, re- but the reality of it is they still should know what you're doing. If you really want them to trust you, if you really want them to be able to put their, their complete trust in you, you're going to have to be as honest as you, need, as, as, as you should be in any situation. You know what I mean? With a, with a fighter. And I think that's, it's, it's been lost in this sport for a long period of time. And I think when I look at guys like Floyd Mayweather, who's running his own thing, it just, it, I'm just hoping more people can do that. But all this time, you know, when I say all this time, but this little, and then it's not a lot of time that I have to prepare for a fight. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just finding out that I'm about to fight this guy who's, you know, one of the most dangerous fighters in the world. You know what I mean? And one of the biggest punchers in the heavyweight division, maybe even heavyweight history. Who knows? And it's like, damn, you didn't even tell me this. You just going to let me just run in there and whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm, 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 you'll know about it in time when, when we, when we setting the deal up. And it's like, damn, do you even care what happens? That these are things that go through my mind, and it's frustrating when you don't know. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but anyway, so after, after that happens, they, they get it. They announce the fight. They bring us out for a press conference to announce the fight and everything. And Sam did look huge. <laughs> he looked like he was a good 320 when he came to the thing. And I, I wasn't too small myself, but. I was about like like I said about 235, 236, something like that. I lost maybe a couple pounds because I started to go to the gym and I realized what was going to happen. But um, and this is when I had another real serious and good conversation, you know, with uh, my manager and a few other people that were there, and and, and one of the guys who was um, uh, one of the PR guys for 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 Goose and Tudor. Really good guy, man. Really good guy. He's, he's he, I've been knowing him for a long time, and he's really he's always kept it kept it real with me. And I don't think he works with Dan anymore. Well, you know, he doesn't work for Goose and Tudor anymore. Dan has passed, so. But um, he came, and you know, we were all having this conversation, and I really remember him in the conversation as much more than even anyone else. And just saying, look, man, you know, you got the rest of your life to you know sit around and do me? nothing. Uh, ah, damn it! You know what? I can't. I can't. Re- it, it really escapes me, and I feel terrible that I can't remember his name right now. But I'm gonna look. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna look it up, and I'm gonna bring it up on either another show, or if I can find it on here. But um, he he's my man for a long time, but I haven't talked to him in so long, and I literally, you know, and you know, I got a boxer's brain right now, and I can't remember anything. So <laughs> that's why I can't remember his name at this moment. But um, he knows who he is. Yeah, no, that's, and, that's um, that happens to a lot of us, you know, uh, Donald Trump as well. But carry on. <laughs> yeah, Ernie, Ernie Holmes too, you know. But anyway, so uh, and I'll never forget Ernie Holmes, by the way. But um, but he, you know, he he said it amongst others. But he, I remember him really saying it, like, "Look, man, you know, you got your whole life to enjoy it and you know, hang out with your girlfriend and do things that you know will be fun. You know, get married and do all of that stuff later on, and you know, or or focus on because I love basketball. Everybody knew that even up to that point. You could go play basketball as much as you want, but you sell." out all of those things and not worry and not pay attention and just give your life to this business hardcore for the next two, maybe three years. And you never know, you may never, never ever have to lift a finger again. And these conversations, these kind of things, when 
talk to people you respect and that, you know, never show to have any uh, uh, hidden agenda, you know, with, 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 you know, guiding you and giving you powerful words and, and, and information that really helps you make a, a real good, a real good decision, or at least a, a better decision than I was making. But I, I really appreciated it. And I really listened to it. And, you know, once, and I try to listen to it as much as I can during this camp. Remember I said I, I had a little less than, you know, four weeks to really prepare. So it was about three and a half weeks. And we decided to do camp in Cali because we were fighting at the Nokia Theater in, uh, in, in L.A. So we just went ahead and said we're going to just do the camp in L.A. So I, and we flew out there immediately and got right to where I was. I think I spent maybe another like four or five days of training with my guys, my strength and conditioning guy, Hassan Wattler, for about uh, another maybe week. And he gave me the, you know, the pl- not not a week, but less than a week, obviously. Yeah, three weeks uh, when I got out to Cali. But um, he gave me the plan and everything, strength and conditioning wise, for me to do when I'm out there. So we go to camp now. When I went when I went to camp out in Cali, we had some nice stuff. Everything was set up pretty good. You know what I mean? It was a good proper camp, even though the the it was kind of late and kind of rushed again. But it wasn't as bad as the um, Alexander Povetkin. Uh, camp, you know what I mean? It was a lot better, and we actually had, um, I mean, we had good sparring for the Pavecki camp as well, but we had really, really good. So we had a perfect, almost the perfect guy to kind of give us like a Sam Peter feel, but with better skills. You know what I mean? And his name is I, and not a lot of people know about him, but his name was Javier Mora, and man, he could punch. He was aggressive, and he could box a little bit. He wasn't able to box to the, you know, to level I could. And I controlled the work 98% of the time. But I remember getting hit a couple of times in there when this dude, this guy was hitting me and he was on me and hurt me. I don't want to say hurt me. Like it wasn't visible to where I was wobbling or anything. But like I knew that if I took a couple of shots off of that, I might not be standing. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? And not many people have gotten me in that position, obviously. So, you know, I really respected what he did. And he was on me the entire camp. Now, progressively through the camp, I gotten better, obviously, with what was going on. And I gotten better to the point where I was getting really, really sharp and almost too sharp, you know, for, for him at that point. You know, he's just training. You know, he's training only to, to help me. So he's not training for a fight himself. But, you know, and once you start getting into that fight mode and fight ready, you start seeing things differently. So I, that was what was happening. And, I mean, he even apologized a couple times. Yeah, man, I'm trying, man. But, you know, it's just hard to keep pace and, you know, and I'm like, man, why are you apologizing? You getting me right for this guy. I'm going to be really, really right when it comes to to uh, getting in, this, in the ring with this guy. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you know, I can't imagine getting better sparring, or better preparation. And that was only one guy. Now, I think I had other guys, but I don't even remember him. So that tells you how good a sparring he was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't even remember who else was in my camp. All I remember was Javier. And he was a really, really, really good guy, too. So it was nice to be able to hang around him a little bit and talk, you know, have a conversation. But his, all his, one of his biggest problems and why he's never made it to the next level is when he got in, under the lights for whatever reason, he just wasn't able to perform. You know, he, I think he was a good amateur at one point. His, I remember hearing his name and, you know, seeing his name in the books and the amateurs and all that back in the day. And, but he just never was able to hit the big time as a professional. But he was damn good sparring, some of the best sparring I've ever had. And it really prepared me. There's another little side note thing that happened in the camp is I got a visit by one of my favorites of all time, 
James Tony came into camp. And, you know, he came with respect and he knew I was fighting uh, uh, Samuel Peter. And, uh, you know, even though he said some crazy stuff and Joe knows <laughs> what he said in the past, it uh, wasn't so nice. But he came in respectful <laughs> and he um, and he, he expected me to beat Samuel, Sam, you know, what I mean, because of what I, what I can do in my boxing ability and all. Because uh, obviously he felt like he beat him at least one of those times. <laughs> I know one of those times he did. I didn't think he won a second, but um, anyway, uh, he, it was just good to see him. And you know, he only he does it in 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 the James Tony way of giving you respect, but it, it almost sounds like he's not. But I appreciated it. And you know, he's like I said, he's one of the greatest in my eyes of all time. And I just uh, it was just a good thing to have him in camp. And, you know, of course, the, you know, of course, my people knew that, you know, I respected James a lot and really liked his style. And, you know, and, and he's a funny guy, too. So it was just good to get a visit from him, too. Um, but, you know, aside from all those good things and <laughs> those other things, uh, I still had to fight a fight to prepare for. And, you know, Javier gave me great work. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was on to the fight. Now, there's another issue that came about with this whole thing. And, you know, it's it's part of the game. You know what I mean? You got to deal with it. It's not something that some is 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 negotiable, in a sense. I mean, media. You have to deal with the media because the media is going to tell your story. You just hope you get good media so they can tell the story that you want them to tell and not the story that they want to tell. But you get a lot of interviews and you got to do a lot of press. You got to do a lot of things um, when you got a big fight coming. And I remember the night before my fight, I had was it like six or seven interviews that I had to do that day? You know what I'm saying? And, and there was different times people were calling me at hours. It was just crazy. You know what I mean? I remember at one point I was literally on the phone, you know, on and off for like maybe about five hours, just going one interview to the next, to the next, to the next. And it was, you know, a good thing that uh, it was the day before the fight. And I'm pretty much just did a little floor work and, you know, shook out down in the, um, in the, uh, gym in the in the complex and i didn't have to go to the actual boxing gym and work out you know and we had also used uh joe joe goosen's uh nice facility for the for the fight and actually i met too another fighter that i met it's the first time i've ever met him and i don't even think he was pro yet at the time if I'm not, oh no he was a pro no he was pro at the time but i just met him and it, uh, it was uh john molina jr and i and he was actually i think my i think he I think that he, I don't think he sparred my brother. No, he didn't spar my brother, but uh, my brother, because my brother goes all camps with me. So, you know, Steve was there, but he was uh, sparring. And I see he was at that time, he was, uh, you know, a little green, still a little green, but he was relentless and he just worked hard and just kept working and kept working. No matter how green he was, he was going to give you the best, uh, the best he had. But it was just, uh, it was nice meeting him. He was a good kid time. You know what I mean? And it was, uh, it was uh, just a great camp altogether with Joe there and, and everything, and the fighters and everybody. But like I said, uh, those interviews and all that stuff to keep you up and keep you uh, sometimes can take your focus a little bit. But I knew I had a nightmare I had to deal with <laughs> the next night. So it wasn't no games. And even though I had to do all those things, I made sure I was mentally is, is in the best mental state I possibly could be in knowing the challenge I had to face the next day. And of course, there's one of the little aspects that goes into these things. I mean, there's always rumblings in camps and, 
you know, you get information from people who you may know that may be in another guy's camp and, you know, our friends have heard this from another guy and blah, blah, blah. And they were saying that Sam was overweight and Sam was, you know, just trying to get his weight down and was trying to do this and trying to do that. And he wasn't really doing that well in sparring. And a lot of this stuff is leaked out purposely to make to make you feel like, oh, it's going to be an easy night. And I don't care what they said. They could have said that Sam Peter lost his leg in camp. I'm going to still go in there nervous and think of an idea of how I think of a way that I'm going to have to deal with this guy, even without a leg, he probably still could punch. You know what I mean? So that was my, that was my thought process. So there was nothing that anybody could have told me that was going to take my mind off of trying to figure out the best way to win this particular fight. So the, uh, the fight comes and of course in the dressing room sitting there, like you're about to go out, to, to fight for your life, <laughs> you know what I mean. Which is in every case, obviously, certain people have different different attitudes toward the toward the fights and all. But like I said, this was a, a huge fight for me, and I, I mean, I had been in some big fights, obviously, up to that point. But you know, this is this was probably the biggest one, you know, aside from the uh, Pavekin fight, fighting a guy who was actually a world champion. So, and uh, you know, just thinking about what he brought to the table with his raw power and just just his strength and his size and all of those things. And he wasn't a tall guy. He was my height, maybe, you know what I mean? But he, he was just uh, as wide as a, is, is, is a, is a freak, like two or three doors. You know what I mean? So it was like, man, you know, how could this guy even walk through a door without turning sideways? You know what I mean? But, um, I, I, you know, I, the closer you get to the ring, we talked about this and the more you start to get in your mode, you know, and I started to feel that. And then, I get in, first of all, I go up onto the stage. Now it's on the, the ring is on a stage, and I've been in a couple of times where the ring is on a stage. But I'm on the ring is on a stage, and that's that's fine. You know what I mean? They got like a, a, a hall seating. I don't know how to how to explain it, but it's like uh, like you're watching a stage. It's like you're watching like a, a you know a, a, I don't know a opera or something. That's how it, it was seated. Then they had seating up on the top too. You know, like around the ring for the you know for the for the trainers and, you know, all the people who, who are going to be the official for the fight as well. But I looked at the ring and I'm looking at the ring and I'm like, man, this ring looks kind of small. <laughs> Joe, you know, Kurt's gym in, in his house, right? Is his ring. See how small his ring was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This ring that I fought Samuel Peter in was a very, it was, it was, it was almost to the point where, man, I don't know how legal this thing was. It was that small. It was not as small as Kurtz, but it was definitely close to it. It had to be maybe a 16, you know, if that, you know what I mean? Because I know I think it's, you know, illegal to go any smaller than that or something. I don't know. But I th- but it definitely was the smallest they could have made it. Just talking, let me just interrupt and just talk about one particular time that stands out where um, you, you, you probably won't notice, Eddie, but um, Mike Tyson is set to fight. Lennox Lewis, uh, Don King obviously being the promoter, and Lennox Lewis gets a glimpse of the ring, I think maybe like a day or something, or I don't know, fight week, whatever, gets a glimpse of the ring and says, whoa, this thing is tiny, it's the smallest ring I've ever seen, obviously, you know, you know the, the, the logic behind giving Mike Tyson a small ring, and um, Lennox Lewis complained to, you know, to Don King and said, ah, this ring's too small, and Don said, well, this is the only ring we could get, you know, it's, it's too late now, it's, you know, we can't get another ring in here, this is it. Well, uh, Lennox Lewis pulled some strings and managed to get a bigger ring delivered 
<laughs> and uh, it was actually his ring that they fought in on the night. Obviously, Lennox Lewis would end up knocking Mike Tyson out, and uh, that ring is somewhere in a storage facility that uh, Lennox Lewis owns. To this day, he's kept the ring, um, which is which is just a cool <laughs> ring story. <laughs> yes, that's a very good ring story. Actually, I wish I could have done what Lennox did, but believe me, I did not have the kind of power nor the amount of money that it would have taken oh, and by up the to way, that point. And by the way, happy birthday to Lennox Lewis. It's his birthday today on yeah. a side happy note. Happy birthday, Lennox. There we go. Got to give it to him. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie. But I didn't, have his, I, didn't, I didn't have his power, nor not physically, which I don't think I have his powers physically either, but, but I do have his skills and, and speed. But anyway, we're not going to go into that. But his power in negotiation nor his power or his or his his pockets either in this type of situation where he can do something like he did. So I didn't even know what kind of ring it was going to be until we actually walked up to the ring. I didn't even get a glimpse of it before we went into the uh, to the I, I think I've heard. I think Steve told me about it or whatever. And I think he got in the ring and kind of told me and kind of warned me a little bit about it beforehand, if I'm not mistaken. But I see the ring and I'm like, damn, my mind, this thing is tiny. I'm like, well, you know, that's fine. They think a small ring. I don't really run anyway, so it ain't no real big deal for me. But then I get in the ring, and it's a puncher's ring. Now, for those who don't know what a puncher's ring is, it's a, it's a ring with a really soft mat where your feet kind of sink into it, so you get real good grip and for, for, for a big punch. And what it also does is when you have a soft ring, it's harder to move. It takes more energy to move. Because now you got to do twice the work, obviously, because your, your feet are sinking. So every time you move, it takes just a little bit of extra energy, maybe a lot. You know what I mean? Depending on the ring. So and and at that point now, I'm getting a little just like irritated and feeling a little disrespected. I didn't say anything. You know what I mean? I just took it. And of course, I had no choice after that point. And I'm sitting there. I'm a little nervous, but I'm starting to get a little pissed off about the whole thing. But Still nervous, still thinking about the fight, but at that time, it's like, man, it's go time. You know what I mean? These guys trying to, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at Dan, and I'm, and I'm looking at my people. I'm like, yo, y'all didn't even do anything. Like, y'all didn't even negotiate for, y'all, y'all didn't see any of this. Like, come on, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but I'm not going to complain. You know, I fought all of my other fights and never said a word and just took whoever it was, didn't even care who it was, whether it was going to be this guy, that guy, I didn't pick anybody. Trust me, I didn't pick anybody. So I said, what the hell? You know, I'm in here. Let me make the best of this opportunity. And so I got in the first round. And I'm expecting, like, you know, this is Sam Peter. When he puts his hands on me, I'm going to feel it. And I remember jabbing him a couple times, throwing a couple jabs out or whatever, you know, just kind of feeling out, trying to, you know, trying to see what's up. And I'm nervous. But I'm but I'm starting to, you know, land jabs. And I was like, damn. He's <laughs> like, is he going to move? <laughs> he didn't move. He tried to move his head, I guess, as the fight went on. But damn, it was like just here, hitting. Just put my hand out and touch him in the face of him. That's how I felt. That's how easy it felt. And I felt like I got really sharp because, like I said, working with Javier and pressure I was dealing with. And to be honest, he wasn't really pressuring me like I thought he would. But at first, I realized, and I also realized something. You know what I mean? I realized this before the fight. But I definitely realized it as it was going on, that if you circle him even closely, he can't get any of his power off. And even if periodically, even if he does, every once in a while you won't get a shot off. It's just the natural way the things are. And he may land it, he may not. 
but he's never going to really get any consistent offense, like a big shot followed by another big shot by another big, you know what I mean? It's only going to be one because I'm not going to stand in one spot close enough for him to get a big shot off. And he's going to be eating these jabs all night long. And throughout the course of the fight, I just, I honestly, I didn't, as, as round went on after round after round, I realized I really didn't need anything but my left hand. All I needed was my jab. Every once in a while, I threw a good right hand here or there. And But he, it never really buzzed him to the point where, like, I think one of the first few kind of got his attention. But the rest of them, he just, he just took. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to have you sitting on the end of these shots all night, and I'm going to win this thing easily. And then, but I noticed, and then also uh, the advice I was getting in the corner was, move, move, get off of the line, move, move. Because they were so worried about him catching me with a shot and getting me out of there. Because this is what I honestly believe. With, with the exception of my brother and and maybe one or t- one other person that might have been in there, I really think that they thought I could win. But they didn't know how much, really. Like, they was like, I... They just, they weren't sure because he's such a big puncher, man. Ah, you know, Eddie gets hit on the chin, man. It might be over. He ain't going to be able to stand up on, under that. I don't know. You know, I don't know. It was, you know, you always worry. And I guess they were always worried. And I mean, and it wasn't just this fight. It was other fights that they, you know, I'm not even going to talk about that now. We're going to get to that when the time comes. But they were just always kind of worried about whether I can deal with it. So I'm in the course of the, as the fight went on, I'm like, damn. He's just kind of easy, man. And, and you know, I guess he can punch, but I haven't felt any of it. Like, he didn't land anything that made me say, ooh, damn, let me not stand here, you know, or let me move, or let me not take another one of those before I'm out of here. He never did. Ian, and I remember him landing a good shot, and I just didn't really get a chance. To, I guess I guess I, I turned him, or I guess he was in an awkward position, or I guess he didn't land it flush, or I turned my head, whatever I had to do. But I never felt the sad Peter Powell. I never did throughout the whole fight. So the way I was looking at it is, man, let me start being a little more aggressive in here and start walking him down. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like I can do something with that. Like, I feel like I can get him, you know, I can run him out of gas because he started to run out of gas toward the end of the fight. And I was like, no, no, just keep going. And I'm sitting there like, no, come on, man, this dude, you know what I mean? No, just keep, keep moving. You keep putting them hands on them and, and they kept saying, Javier, Javier, you know, they're trying to, you know, keep me, keep reminding me that I need to move and put my hands on him and get out of there and not let him get no shots off. But I did all that. And, and I remember at one point after the fight, he wanted me to say something happened to my hand and of my right hand, because I threw so many more jabs than right hands. And I was, I was like, why? He's like, yeah, they're going to ask you why you didn't throw a lot of, and I'm like, does that matter? If I beat a guy with one hand, one punch, doesn't that say I'm better? You know what I'm saying? Doesn't that say I'm better? What if I use the rest of them? You know what I'm saying? What if I didn't need to use the rest of them? That's all I needed. You know what I'm saying? I could have beat Samuel Peter as great as he was up to that point in his career with one punch, one particular punch. And he really just didn't have an answer for it. But I guess, you know, the judges wouldn't have looked at the fight the same if I didn't throw some right hands and hooks and stuff in there too. But and it's funny because what my corner was telling me and giving me the good advice and and 
even even Teddy Atlas himself was saying I was doing the right thing and being responsible, but he also was so frustrated watching, talk about he, I could be doing so much more, but why? And this is what I say to Teddy, and this is what I say to all these guys. Why? Why? Okay, so I go and get aggressive and try to, you know, close the show, so to speak. Then I caught with a get caught with a big right hand, get knocked out cold, and I'm winning the fight, you know, nine rounds to nothing, and give him a shot in the tenth round, and he knocks me out with. It. Then what? Oh, you were stupid to go in there and try to fight with him. But no, but you said you were saying, Teddy, that I should have thrown the right hand, put the left hook behind it, and start another combination. Ain't that what you were saying? Mm. Why would I do that? When you throw a hook after the right hand, yes, it brings you back on balance, but it also brings you back onto the line. And if you go back onto the line, there's a good chance that the guy, if he closes his eyes and swings a big shot, will catch you with it. So for all those people and, and, and trainers who teach those things, I'm not saying don't teach it. I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but you have to understand why you're doing it and where it puts you. You understand what I'm saying? And I understood that. That's why there's certain things I didn't do in certain situations. And fighters of a high level know that. And they know what their where their level where their where their ability uh, uh, extends to, and where it falls short of. And you got to be able to just understand. If I go in and I slug with this guy, and 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 throw big shots back at him, without being defensively responsible, then I'm going to get my, I'm putting myself at risk of getting knocked out. After I'm winning this whole fight, I'm not doing that. I do want to be more aggressive. I do want to walk him down, but I want to do it in a in a smart enough way where I can win the fight without getting knocked out. You understand what I'm saying? And be aggressive and give myself opportunity. But anyway, I say all that to say, go, we, we get through the fight. I feel like I, I really felt confident that I won just about every round. You know, obviously, you know, I, I think Sam probably snuck a few rounds and I think he did. I don't think I won every round because, you know, I let some of those rounds get close. And I, I talked about that before, like I'll be completely outclassing a person, but you know, sometimes you do that. You know, let the, give him a turn type thing, which you should never do. And, you know, I keep these guys into fights. So I think I gave him a few rounds, but the reality of it is there's no way he should have got a draw on any car. There's no way. Just like I shouldn't have got a straight 10-round sweep, he shouldn't have got a draw on any car. There's no way on earth he won, he won half of those rounds. Not one. There's no chance. You know what I'm saying? He didn't throw enough punches, nor did he put himself in position enough to do that. But, hey, it's boxing. There, I guess, and and they, you know, that person who gave him the draw was one of their judges, and I guess our judge and the neutral judge saw the fight like it was supposed to be, kind of. So I end up winning the decision, and you know, at that point, you know, it's a it, it's a it's a great thing, but I was a little nervous because then I heard the card. I think I got a draw. I think it was a majority win, so I got the draw, and I'm, you know, kind of worrying like, here we go, you know what I'm saying, and then. I don't really want to bring finances and, and those types of things and talk about, you know, what happened and what the money was and all of that stuff. But this is an important thing. It is why I say you should always be involved and understand what's going on with the business aspect of your your career. Because for fighting one fight removed from the heavyweight title, great, one of the greatest heavyweights up to that point in the world, I'm fighting him. And I end up walking away with $6,500. 6500 Not 65000 $6,500. My, my gross purse was $20,000 for that fight. $20,000. I don't know what Sam Peter got. 
<laughs> but I know I did not get much. You know what I mean? And and it's just it just goes like I said, it just goes to show you that in this business, you should know what's going on all the time. Um, but anyway, uh, that's it for that. You know what I mean? It, it was just it was a it was a it was a crazy experience dealing with that. You know, you 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 get involved and you're fighting a a great a great fight is a great test for you. But you deal with all the crap that goes along with the sport and you get through it, you win and you move on. And I mean that's all you can hope to do, but you gotta make the correct decisions the next time out. And if that means that you gotta make some some moves, like there's a there's a there's a uh, a situation where I think got, there's been a few guys who had some some uh, managerial and promotional problems and they literally sat out their career for a few years to get it fixed. Andre Ward being one of them and Mikey Garcia being another that I know of for sure that had issues with their team and they needed to make adjustments to their career to feel comfortable moving forward. And I feel like I never made that adjustment and that could have been a real reason why I really never got the title that I really wanted. You know what I'm saying? And, and, it's just it's just sad when I look back on it. I mean, it's not over. You know, maybe I'll get an opportunity done down the line. It's unlikely, but you know, you never know. You never know, especially as Sergio Martinez is now ranked number six with a WBA after that comeback after six years. But um, how about that? Yeah, how about that? But um, yeah, you mentioned there that because I was going to ask you again. Obviously, two of the scorecards are real close. You got ninety six, ninety four, uh, Max DeLuca. Um, Marty Denkin was the guy who gave it a draw, 95-95. And then, you know, nine rounds to one for Ray Corona for you. So, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, Marty Denkin with his strange scorecard passed away now. Um, passed away oh. in 2018. Uh, he actually refereed, yes. a f- uh, not refereed, sorry. He judged a fight in um, on, on the 3rd of November. 2018 and he actually died on the 29th of November so literally three weeks after his his uh, his last you know judging uh, you know judging performance I guess yeah because I guess last fight applies there too yeah you know and, uh, that's crazy later, he was he uh, he passed away but um yeah that 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 literally wraps it up Eddie um you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we've gone into great detail there. The next time we speak, obviously, it'll be the the Dimitrenko win, which again ends in another majority decision. And then, obviously, after that, we get on to the big one, Vladimir Klitschko. Um, so, yeah, Eddie, like I say, thanks once again for going into great depth about these fights here, telling stories that literally no one knows. I know that this is... Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is a thing that we started in the thick of the lockdown. The lockdown kind of the quarantine thing is thinning out mm. now worldwide. Um, well, not not everywhere, but, you know, in certain places. And um, Right. Waters are receding a little bit, so it's getting a little bit back into the norm somewhat. It's not totally there, and we got a lot of work left to do. But Yeah, like I yeah. say. But, yeah. but no, I appreciate you, uh, you doing this. And obviously, you know, this is uh, never before told stories here. And... Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just an honor to, to to be doing this with you. Obviously, it's uh, it wouldn't be right to do this with anyone else, to be honest. So I, I appreciate uh, all the details that you're spilling here and uh, telling your your life story, your boxing life story, at least. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good thing, man. I'm in I'm enjoying it. I mean, 
So, you know, sometimes I get tired of hearing myself talk, but <laughs> I still like to talk, you know, anyway. But um, it's, uh, these are things that happen, man. And everything I'm saying happened. 100, 1 million percent happened. So, you know, it's just, um, I got to deal with the fact that it happened. And obviously, I mean, it's good for the listeners, you know, what I mean? get, you know, a couple guys, maybe, you know, more than a couple guys, guys that may be fighters, you know, and, you know, looking into their career and start really paying attention to what they what they need to be paying attention to. Not just the boxing. Don't get me wrong. That's an important factor. You have to do that first. But you need to pay attention to the other stuff, too. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons in these episodes and um, I just want to thank you once again Eddie thanks for for doing another lockdown knockdown segment with me this week hopefully we can return with with another edition of this uh, next week uh, that, that that's the plan but uh, yeah that wraps up all the talking pretty much like I said we've done the review part the preview part the news part Jessica McCaskill was absolutely fabulous earlier on Eddie's just brought you another edition of his lockdown knockdown that's all the talking it's now time to wrap up the show Okay, and this wraps up episode 255 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the reigning, undisputed female welterweight world champion, the inspirational Jessica McCaskill. What a pleasure it was to speak with her. Um, The biggest thanks of all, though, as always, goes out to you, the listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. That's about everything from me, though. Enjoy your weekend people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week